Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everyone. I am pleased to have you join me for another episode of the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Dr. Casey Grover here once again as your host. One quick update. I finally got my Addiction Medicine board exam results and I passed. I am now double boarded in both addiction medicine and emergency medicine. Congratulations to anyone else who passed the board exam as well. I am also joined by two other doctors in my community who also took the boards and passed. So my county here in Central California now has three new addiction medicine doctors. Okay, let's move on to today's topic and buckle your seatbelts for this episode. It is a long one and we do a mega deep dive on this topic. This topic is also a controversial one. One of my fellow EM addiction colleagues, Dr. Reb Close, and I will be speaking along with another physician to law enforcement this spring on the topic of first responder exposure to fentanyl, and that will be our topic for this episode. Specifically, we are going to discuss what is the risk of fentanyl exposure to first responders and what can we do to mitigate that risk. Let's start with a paper to introduce the why behind this topic. The paper is entitled, Fentanyl Panic Goes Viral, The Spread of Misinformation About Overdose Risk from Casual Contact with Fentanyl in Mainstream and Social Media. It was published in International Journal of Drug Policy in 2020, and Leo Beletsky was the first author. And really, the title says it all, Fentanyl Panic. The authors note in the introduction section that they want to focus on the spread of misinformation about fentanyl exposures. They note that there are multiple reports of casual, tactile, and respiratory contact with powder fentanyl, causing symptoms of dyspnea, palpitations, and fainting, none of which are consistent with opioid toxicity. The authors further note that the American College of Medical Toxicology has tried to provide reasonable guidelines on casual fentanyl exposure, yet social media and some law enforcement agencies have continued to disseminate inaccurate information. Now, why do we care if people are afraid of casual fentanyl exposure? Well, the authors note that first responders or bystanders may delay or even avoid responding to an overdose if they are fearful of exposure to fentanyl. And panic may also spur counterproductive policies such as hyperpunitive laws regarding fentanyl. So, what did the authors do in this paper? They reviewed mainstream media content between January 2015 and September 2019 to look for information about fentanyl. 
they categorize stories as misinformation, which is pretty self-explanatory, corrective, meaning it was accurate, and partly corrective, which meant it had some misinformation and some corrective content. What did they find? They found 551 news articles and 506 articles, or 92%, contained misinformation. Only 45 articles, or 8%, contained corrective or partially corrective information. Only 18 articles actually contained corrective information only. When they looked at social media sharing of these articles, misinformation articles were shared 450,011 times, which spread to 69,751,705 users. On the flip side, the corrective articles were shared 29,652 times, spreading to only 4,596,060 users. The authors actually put together a fantastic graph, which is figure one of the article, which points out the drastic difference between misinformation and corrective information. So that's the issue here. People are afraid of casual exposure to fentanyl, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of good information out there. So here's the next question. What really is the risk of fentanyl exposure, and what's the best way to stay safe if you know that you're going to be exposed to it? So, it was time to go back into the literature. We'll start with how worried law enforcement is about exposure to fentanyl. I found a paper in the International Journal of Drug Policy entitled, Perceived Occupational Risk of Fentanyl Exposure Among Law Enforcement. It was published in 2021, and the lead author was Peyton Attaway. The authors set the stage in this article with what law enforcement officers are facing. As we all know, fentanyl and fentanyl analogs are increasingly found in the drug supply and are associated with overdose deaths. Between 2016 and 2019, there was a three-fold increase in the numbers of seizures of products containing fentanyl. Beginning in 2016, the DEA began releasing educational materials on fentanyl for officers that highlighted how potent fentanyl is and the risk to officers. Officers were told, quote, since fentanyl can be ingested orally, inhaled through the nose or mouth, or absorbed through the skin or eyes, any substance suspected to contain fentanyl should be treated with extreme caution as exposure to a small amount can lead to a significant health-related complication, respiratory depression, or death, end quote. Interestingly, the American College of Medical Toxicology countered this statement, stating that the risk of exposure to first responders was low. They noted that it would take 14 minutes with fentanyl patches on both palms to receive 100 micrograms of fentanyl, which is a therapeutic dose. However, as we noted in the first article, there are lots of reports in the media and social media of officers who believe they are having an overdose after trivial exposures to fentanyl. And we'll come back to this American College of Medical Toxicology statement later in the episode. So, the authors of this second paper wanted to get a sense of how much law enforcement officers were afraid of fentanyl. 
they approached five different law enforcement agencies and interviewed 38 different law enforcement officers. They used a semi-structured approach to the interviews and asked a standard set of questions. They ended up asking 20 law enforcement officers and members of law enforcement leadership about fentanyl. And what did these surveys show? Nearly all of the officers expressed concern that they could have an overdose after an exposure to fentanyl. Very few officers reported that they had received any specialized training on how to handle fentanyl. Several of the respondents reported that they, as a result of fentanyl, take extra precautions when responding to a call, and the extra precautions varied from just gloves to even a gas mask. One respondent worried that taking extra precautions would make people feel marginalized, like always wearing gloves before shaking anyone's hand, and this officer reported that you never know who just might have touched fentanyl when you're shaking hands. And when asked about where officers got their information from about fentanyl, many officers referenced the information from the DEA, and nearly half of the officers had heard of another officer having an episode thought to be an overdose after an exposure to fentanyl. However, no officer who reported such an event was able to confirm what had actually happened during the event. The authors of this second paper conclude that, quote, nearly all officers we interviewed believed that fentanyl is a significant occupational hazard with potentially fatal outcomes, despite no confirmed cases of an officer experiencing an overdose after encountering fentanyl on the job, end quote. Now, I wanted to get more information, and to round out the background information on this topic, I found a paper that asked a slightly different question about first responders and their knowledge and perspectives about fentanyl. This paper was published in the journal Disaster Medicine and Public Health Preparedness in 2019 with Eric Perceau as the first author. The title of the article is Pilot Study on Risk Perceptions and Knowledge of Fentanyl Exposure Among New York State First Responders. So let's dig into this study. This was a study that used a questionnaire to assess first responder risk perceptions and knowledge regarding fentanyl exposure to identify potential gaps in their training on the topic. They surveyed 187 first responders working in New York State. 50% of the respondents worked in law enforcement, 30% worked in emergency medical services, and the remaining 20% were firefighters. So what did they find? We'll go through some of the key responses. 92% of all responders reported that they knew naloxone could be used to treat exposure to fentanyl. 30% of respondents weren't sure what type of glove should be used, latex or nitrile, to protect against skin exposure. About 60% of fire and EMS respondents and 85% of law enforcement respondents felt that it was not safe to hold a pill containing fentanyl. 20% of respondents believed that morphine and fentanyl were the same strength. 63% of fire and EMS respondents and 85% of law enforcement respondents believed that briefly touching fentanyl could be fatal. And about 35% of fire and EMS respondents and 25% of law enforcement respondents believed that you could safely use hand sanitizer after fentanyl exposure. 
and 23% of respondents reported that they got their information about fentanyl from social media or the internet. Moving on to the discussion of this next paper. The authors highlight that there are some big opportunities for education for first responders on what the risks of fentanyl exposure actually are and how to protect themselves. One point that the authors make is that using hand sanitizer after fentanyl exposure may actually spread the fentanyl around the skin and the alcohol can increase absorption. So this is an important point for education. Additionally, nitrile gloves are the most effective glove as compared to latex to protect against dermal exposure. So this is another key educational point. And finally, the risk of toxicity after brief dermal exposure is extremely low, so this is an additional educational point. The authors conclude this paper by noting that better training is needed for first responders and that over-reliance on the internet and social media may be the cause of some of the knowledge gaps. Okay. So we know that first responders, including law enforcement, are worried about fentanyl exposure while working, but may not have the best baseline knowledge about the risk and what to do to protect themselves. But let's go back. What actually is the risk to them? Let's move on to another paper to give us some information on this. The title is Accidental Occupational Exposure to a Large Volume of Liquid Fentanyl on a compromised skin barrier with no resultant effect. The lead author was Ryan Feldman, and it was published in Pre-Hospital and Disaster Medicine in 2022. This was a very brief article that described the case of a 32-year-old male who was exposed to 380 micrograms of a fentanyl solution accidentally while working as a pharmacist. And as a quick aside for reference, the usual therapeutic dose of fentanyl is 50 micrograms to 100 micrograms. So, what actually happened? Well, the patient in the paper had a laceration that was healing on his hand and accidentally spilled 380 micrograms of liquid fentanyl onto that hand. The fentanyl was in place for about one minute, after which it was washed off with soap and water. What happened to the patient? Absolutely nothing. The patient had no symptoms and was actually able to go back to work after a period of observation. The authors make a few points in the discussion of this case that are worth mentioning. First, they agree with our first article from this episode that media reports of dyspnea, palpitations, and fainting after fentanyl exposure are not consistent with the opioid toxidrome. They also review the pharmacology of fentanyl and note while that it can be absorbed dermally, fentanyl is also lipophilic and therefore, after being absorbed through the skin, gets stuck in the avascular lipophilic subdermal tissue. The authors note that it takes 20 minutes based on in vitro studies for fentanyl to be absorbed into the skin and then to make it into the systemic circulation. And that is in the setting of optimal absorption through the skin, such as with a fentanyl patch and continued exposure to the fentanyl. The authors make a few other points in the discussion and then conclude that their case is consistent with in vitro and ex vivo data supporting the low risk of absorption of fentanyl after brief dermal fentanyl exposure. 
So based on that article, the risk of dermal exposure to first responders seems lower. Let's continue to dig in and see what we can find on this. The next article I found was from the journal American Journal of Industrial Medicine. It was published in 2019 with Sophia Chu as the lead author. The title was Health Effects from Unintentional Occupational Exposure to Opioids Among Law Enforcement Officers, Two Case Investigations. This paper reviews two instances in which law enforcement officers were exposed to substances while working and then reports what happened to them afterwards. Here's case one. A police officer was doing a traffic stop and found a purse containing powder. A gust of wind blew powder from the container onto the officer and his uniform. The officer was wearing short sleeves and did not have gloves. The officer tried to clean up by brushing off the powder and then using hand sanitizer. Within five minutes of the exposure, the officer became disoriented and lightheaded and experienced blurry vision. EMS was activated. When EMS arrived, vital signs were normal and pupils were mid-range and reactive. The patient was taken to the ED where he also had normal vital signs and normal pupils. No tests were done. He was observed, symptoms resolved, and he was discharged. The forensic lab identified fentanyl and meth in the powder. Here's case number two. Three police officers responded to a 911 call for an overdose. When they got on scene, there was signs of drug use and multiple powders in the room. They were wearing short sleeve uniforms and had on gloves. They, shortly after seeing what was on scene, put on P100 respirators. One law enforcement officer from the trio went back to the station where he worked with a fourth officer. These two officers developed lightheadedness and dizziness while back at the station. One experienced numbness in the hands and tongue, while the other developed a headache, blurry vision, a feeling of warmth, and feeling drunk. The other two law enforcement officers who stayed on scene in P100 respirators, shortly after leaving the scene, developed symptoms. They reported feeling weak, warm, dizzy, lightheaded, and drunk. One was much more symptomatic than the other and was given Narcan with a rapid improvement in symptoms. All four officers were decontaminated and taken to a local emergency department. All officers had normal vital signs, except some had elevated blood pressure and an elevated heart rate. All had normal pupils. Urine drug screens were done on all of them, and all were negative for cannabis, PCP, cocaine, opiates, amphetamines, benzodiazepine, and barbiturates. Forensic testing of the powders on scene showed opioids, cocaine, methamphetamine, and bath salts and there was no mention of fentanyl in this case. The authors dissect these two cases and note a few possible explanations for the symptoms. One, low-level opioid exposure. Not enough to overdose, but enough to feel unwell. Two, exposure to other drugs, such as stimulants. Three, mixed drug exposure from both opioids and stimulants. And four, perceived risk. And the authors describe this. The authors note that perceived risk refers to an individual's belief that she or he has been exposed to a hazardous chemical and believes that she or he will develop symptoms and then does so in a psychosomatic manner. The authors have a very nice discussion section, which I will skim through to keep the episode at a reasonable length. 
the authors note, similar to previous articles we reviewed on this episode, that the risk of toxicity from fentanyl with dermal exposure is low as long as the person is properly and appropriately promptly decontaminated. The authors also note that negative urine drug screens do not rule out drug exposure, as the level of exposure may be below the threshold to be detected by the test. And the authors conclude that standardized education should be done for officers on the true risk of exposure to various substances, as well as how to protect themselves from exposures while working. The authors also note that standardized protocols for officer protection should be developed and disseminated. And that concludes this paper. Unfortunately, there's actually not a lot of literature on the risk of fentanyl exposure to first responders, so I thought it was time to go to what is considered to be the best medical article on the topic. And I briefly mentioned this paper earlier in the episode, and that is the position statement from the American College of Medical Toxicology and the American Academy of Clinical Toxicology. It's published in the Journal of Medical Toxicology in 2017 with Michael Moss as the lead author. The formal title is ACMT and AACT Position Statement, Preventing Occupational Fentanyl and Fentanyl Analog Exposure to Emergency Responders. As I reviewed information for this episode, this paper was referenced a lot as the definitive source on the topic. Let's dig in. Here is their official position, quote, fentanyl and its analogs are potent opioid receptor agonists, but the risk of clinically significant exposure to emergency responders is extremely low. To date, we have not seen reports of emergency responders developing signs or symptoms consistent with opioid toxicity from incidental contact with opioids. Incidental dermal absorption is unlikely to cause opioid toxicity. For routine handling of drug, nitrile gloves provide sufficient dermal protection. In exceptional circumstances where there are drug particles or droplets suspended in the air, an N95 respirator provides sufficient protection. Workers who may encounter fentanyl or fentanyl analogs should be trained to recognize the signs and symptoms of opioid intoxication, have naloxone readily available, and be trained to administer naloxone and provide active medical assistance. In the unlikely event of poisoning, naloxone should be administered to those with objective signs of hypoventilation or a depressed level of consciousness and not for vague concerns such as dizziness or anxiety. In the absence of prolonged hypoxia, no persistent effects are expected following fentanyl or fentanyl analog exposures. Those with small subclinical exposures and those who waken normally following naloxone administration will not experience long-term effects, end quote. And that is a long quote. That's their position statement. Now, let's look at the information that they give to support this statement. The authors note that the methodology of their paper is a combination of a literature review and expert opinion. They start with inhalational risk and note that there is risk here for first responders. They note that fentanyl has high bioavailability when inhaled and review the event in Moscow in 2002 in which 125 people died in a theater after it is believed that carfentanyl and remifentanyl were aerosolized and weaponized. Now, 
let's pause here for a second and note that this was a very unusual event in history, and that carfentanil and remifentanil were weaponized here. This is not at all like an incidental exposure of a first responder to powder in the air. If you want to look up the event, search for Dubrovka Theater. Okay, back to the article. The authors move on to discuss the risk of aerosolized fentanyl. They note that it would take 200 minutes in a room with aerosolized fentanyl to receive a 100 microgram dose of fentanyl. So yes, there is a risk of inhalational exposure, but it takes quite a bit of time to become toxic. And furthermore, fentanyl has a low vapor pressure, so it is very unlikely to evaporate into gaseous phase and then pose an inhalational risk which means you don't have to be worried about inhalational exposure by being next to liquid or solid fentanyl. The authors move on to dermal exposure risk and note here that fentanyl analogs have similar properties to regular fentanyl. They report that fentanyl patches can take 3 to 13 hours to reach an effective serum fentanyl concentration. The authors calculate, and you may remember this statistic from earlier in the episode, that if you covered both palms with fentanyl patches, and by the way, that's a lot of fentanyl, it would take 14 minutes to receive a therapeutic dose of 100 micrograms of fentanyl. They go on further to note that fentanyl patches have a special matrix to optimize delivery through the skin, including keeping the skin moist. Fentanyl powder or pills, by comparison, will not significantly absorb through the skin in the absence of moisture or being dissolved in a solution. They conclude with ocular and facial exposures to fentanyl. They do note that there is opportunity for absorption of fentanyl and its analogs here. When using fentanyl in a form that is designed to be given transmucosally, absorption is 30 times higher through mucous membranes than skin. So, with that, what do the authors recommend in terms of PPE and protection? Here's what they say. Nitrile gloves, eye protection, and a face shield could be considered if there is a risk of a splash to the face. If there is airborne suspension of powdered opioids, N95 or P100 respirator should be used. In areas of heavy contamination, water-resistant coveralls could be worn. And when dermal exposure occurs, fentanyl should be removed with soap and water. Hand sanitizer may increase absorption of fentanyl. The authors also note that first responders should be trained to use and carry naloxone and that canines can suffer opioid toxicity as well. They also clearly state that toxicity from fentanyl can only occur when the drug enters the bloodstream. Toxicity cannot occur simply from being in proximity to the drug. And that is the end of this position statement and article. I love this article. They really do a great job of highlighting the risks of fentanyl exposure and then highlighting what is best practice for first responders to stay safe. Okay, I found another similar paper that goes through the recommendations for first responders. It's entitled... Fentanyls and the Safety of First Responders, Science and Recommendations. It was published in the journal, American Journal of Industrial Medicine. 
The lead author was John Howard, and it was published in 2018. It's actually very similar to the position statement from the American College of Medical Toxicology and the American Academy of Clinical Toxicology that we just went through. Let's hit the high points. They start by reviewing the pharmacology of opioids, and we've already gone through this, both on this podcast and in this episode. But they make one key point that I wanted to review as it pertains to first responders and fentanyl, and that is tolerance. We have to remember that repeated opioid use over time results in tolerance, which is the need for escalating doses of opioids to feel the same effect. So patients who are using opioids regularly will develop tolerance to opioids and feel very little, if anything, if they have an exposure to a small amount of opioid. However, for people who do not use opioids regularly, they are considered opioid naive and will feel the effects of opioids even if only exposed to a small amount of opioid as they have no tolerance. And this is important as it pertains to first responders, as very few first responders will have opioid tolerance. And so small exposures to opioids in those without tolerance can cause symptoms. The authors move on to review each potential route of exposure to fentanyl and the sections on inhalation mucous membrane, and dermal exposure are essentially the same as in the position paper we just reviewed. But this paper also tackles ingestion. The authors note that first responders could be exposed to fentanyl if food or beverages were contaminated with fentanyl. This paper also reviews percutaneous exposure to fentanyl. An accidental needle stick with a needle containing fentanyl could occur, but there's not a lot of literature on this. The authors provide in the article some recommendations on how first responders can protect themselves, and these recommendations will sound familiar. First responders should carry and know how to use naloxone. If powder or drug is aerosolized, first responders should use an N95 or P100 respirator. There should be the use of eye protection with consideration of a face shield. Officers and first responders should use nitrile gloves, which should be changed promptly if contaminated. And skin exposures should be cleaned with soap and water, not hand sanitizers or wipes, which could increase absorption. And that concludes this paper. Now, Just to be extra sure that we have the best recommendations on how to keep first responders safe, I did go to the CDC website and they have a document entitled Fentanyl, Emergency Responders at Risk. Here's what they recommend for first responders. Nitrile gloves, respiratory protection if powdered drugs are visible, avoid doing anything that will cause illicit drugs to become airborne, Do not touch the eyes, nose, or mouth after touching any contaminated surfaces. Wash with soap and water after any exposure, and do not use hand sanitizer. Okay, so now we have three different sources on this topic, all with consensus on officer safety. So, let's take a minute and see where we are at on this topic. We know that there is fear about fentanyl exposures. 
We know that there are a lot of misconceptions about fentanyl exposures, and we have a consensus on what protective measures need to be taken to keep first responders safe. So, let's wrap up this episode on what we can do to improve education for our first responders on this topic. Let's look at a paper on this topic, and I love this title, Can Touch This? Training to Correct Police Officer Beliefs About Overdose from Incidental Contact with Fentanyl. The first author was Brandon Del Pozo, and the study was published in the journal Health and Justice in 2021. Since we've been going through a whirlwind of papers in this episode, let me review a few points of the introduction to remind us why we are talking about this topic. If first responders are overly concerned about their own safety when responding to victims who have been using fentanyl, the authors note that this may delay responses to patients suffering from fentanyl overdose. The first responders may, for example, don excessive PPE, which would delay the administration of Narcan. Additionally, if first responders are overly concerned about their own safety when responding to victims who have been using fentanyl, this perpetuates stigma against people who use drugs by portraying them as toxic or dangerous to be around. This paper did a nice job of outlining those points as to why this topic matters. So, these authors wanted to take on how to educate first responders about fentanyl. What did they do? The authors used a training program called SHIELD, Safety and Health Integration in the Enforcement of Laws on Drugs, which provided three three-hour training sessions to law enforcement officers. The sessions provided information about transdermal drug delivery systems, highlighting the difference between a nicotine patch and tobacco, and then using that to educate on the difference between a fentanyl patch and powdered fentanyl. What did the authors find? Well, they looked at 129 law enforcement officers. Before training, 80% of the officers agreed with this statement. Quote, first responders who encounter fentanyl are at great risk of overdose by touching it or inhaling it, end quote. And after the training, only 40% of officers agreed with this statement. So this was a big improvement in education. The authors conclude that education can be effective in helping to correct officers' beliefs about fentanyl. Now, there is a second paper that looked at education for first responders on fentanyl exposure, and this one was published in Harm Reduction Journal in 2020. The lead author was Rachel Winograd, and the title is Training to Reduce Emergency Responders Perceived Overdose Risk from Contact with Fentanyl, Early Evidence of Success. And as this episode is getting really long, I will rush through this paper. This paper is very similar to the previous one. The authors studied the effect of providing education on naloxone, addiction, harm reduction, and fentanyl exposure. They presented it to 140 first responders. They measured their success by asking their study participants to state if the following question was true or false. I can overdose from touching fentanyl. Before the study, only 21% of respondents believed correctly that this statement is false. Post-training, 84% of respondents believed correctly that this statement is false. 
And so the authors conclude that education can be effective in helping to correct first responder beliefs about fentanyl. Okay, so that ends our marathon review of this topic. Let's wrap this episode up with some take-home points. Number one, first responders have a lot of concern that they could be harmed by being exposed to fentanyl while working. Number two, we need first responders to feel confident that they are safe when drugs that potentially contain fentanyl are on scene so that they can attend to victims in a timely fashion. Number three, particularly in the media and on social media, there are a lot of reports of officers believing that they are experiencing overdoses from relatively minor fentanyl exposures, and this is increasing the fear about exposure to fentanyl. Number four, inhalational and mucous membrane exposures to fentanyl pose the greatest risk to first responders. Number five, brief dermal exposure to fentanyl of any form does not pose significant risk to first responders as fentanyl absorption through the skin is poor and occurs extremely slowly. Number six, in the case of dermal exposure to fentanyl, the area of exposed skin should be promptly cleaned with soap and water. Chemical cleaning products, including hand sanitizer, should be avoided as they may increase absorption of fentanyl through the skin. Number seven, officers should be trained to identify overdoses and be able to respond with naloxone. Number eight, there is consensus in the medical community on the appropriate PPE for first responders when they might be exposed to fentanyl. Nitrile gloves, eye protection, face shield if there is a risk of splash to the face, and N95 or P100 respirator if fentanyl is suspected to be aerosolized. Number nine, first responders should avoid any movements that might disperse powdered fentanyl into the air and should avoid touching the mouth, nose, or eyes with contaminated hands, including gloved hands. And number 10, education for first responders about the risk of fentanyl exposure and appropriate procedures on how to stay safe when exposed to fentanyl is important and effective. And that is the end of this super long episode. Congratulations, you made it. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast with colleagues. This is such an important topic. Thank you for what you do. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.